soon as I get home, huh? <laughs> home. That implies that this is not our home. It's our home, but it's not our ultimate home. We are citizens of the kingdom. Soon to be residents of the new heaven and new earth. Come Lord Jesus. He is risen. Okay, we can try that again. Hope you don't mind. I'm not beating up on you, I just want to try it again. He is risen. God bless your hearts. Amen. 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 This morning we're going to be looking at an incredible passage. Acts chapter 9. It's one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, actually, especially the New Testament. And you'll see why if you don't already know. So if you would stand with me one more time for the reading of God's Word and prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are looking forward to home. We're going to put more. You're going to put on our robe. You're going to clothe us with a white robe, the Bible says. We know it doesn't mean a literal robe. We know we are clothed fully with the righteousness of Christ. We will stand before you perfect. All that day in the new heavens and new earth, when our, our bodies are resurrected from the ground to join our souls forever, we will be perfected in your presence forever. And Lord, make it so. Lord, we long for that day. Oh, we long to be home, to be clothed fully, to see you in all of your glory, Lord Jesus, to behold you. Oh. Some of us are grieved right now because we've, some of our loved ones have left us. And they are beholding you right now, so we rejoice with them. But Lord, some of us are grieving. Help us to fight for joy. Help us to rejoice in the resurrection. Some of us are just weighed down. We gotta fight for joy too. Because you are worthy. Lord, we don't leave our burdens at the door of the church. We bring our burdens into the worship and we offer them to you. We cast them upon you. Oh, may we see the glory of Jesus. May we hear his voice now. Father, as you've always done, be with your servant and help me to preach Christ, to preach your word, to exalt him who is life. You do the work of touching hearts and changing lives. You do it. May no one leave here unscathed because we've, they've been in the presence of God throughout this service as we sung your glory. Now as your word goes forth, May it go forth with your power and love and penetrating work. Save someone today. Set someone free. Build up your people. Get the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. But Saul... 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of, of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, that's what the Christians were called, followers of the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Zanus departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made, who made havoc in Jerusalem over those who called upon this name? And has he, got, has he now come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Wow. That is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank choir. We all love stories of rags to riches. Or even better, when someone who did horrible crimes becomes a different person. 
ends up leaving an imprint on society and people for good. The evil he or she may have done isn't forgotten, but it gets eclipsed by the good and how they ended. Nowhere do we find this more gloriously illustrated than in the life of a man named Saul, whom the world would come to know as the Apostle Paul. His transformation is actually considered one of the many proofs that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You see, Christianity is not about reforming your life. It's not about making yourself a better person. It's about divine transformation because of an initial and then ongoing encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. This is one of the great messages of Easter. Have you encountered the risen Jesus? And if you have, are you living each day in the power of his resurrection? That's not a guarantee. Remember where we are in Acts briefly, the church is growing. People are believing in Jesus, uh, mostly Jews at this point. It's going to spread to the Gentiles in the next chapter, chapter 10. The non-Jews are going to start hearing the gospel. But mostly up until now, this is mostly a Jewish phenomenon. But there is opposition. A young man, likely one of the first deacons in chapter 7, is put to death because of his testimony about Jesus. His name was Stephen. At that point, persecution really breaks out against the followers of the way. That's who we were called in the very beginning. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We were followers of the way. That's, what, that's how the chapter begins here in chapter 9. I'm going to use the word holy in all four of my points this morning. In all but one, in all but one of those points, I will use that word to mean special to God. Holy means special to God. Literally in the Bible, it means set apart. That is, you're no longer, something or someone is no longer for common everyday use. It is now set apart, set aside for God's use alone. So I'm using the phrase special to God. That's what, that's what it means. Just think about it like that. Now keep in mind, not everything in this passage is normative. Some things are particular to how God dealt with Saul. But we're also going to look at things that are normative that we can remember for our own lives. Amen? First of all, I want you to notice something. A life, this is a life before a resurrection encounter, holy, a holy terror. Remember, this is verses 1 and 2. Here you got a wonderful picture of this guy named Saul. <laughs> Remember, again, like I said, the early Christians were, believed, were, were Jews who believed in Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. They were excited about him. Wasn't all of them. Wasn't most of them. But a lot had believed in Jesus, and they're excited. But, and because most Jews rejected the idea, 
especially the leadership of the Jews, they persecuted these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of the way. They were considered as heretics and traitors to their people. That's, that's how Saul felt about Christians. They were traitors and heretics. So in Acts chapter 7 and 8, we see Saul mentioned a few times, three times. Acts 7.58, they were killing Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He was holding their garments because he was giving consent, watching the cloaks. I got, I, I got your coat, man. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. Same scene. Acts chapter 8, 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I don't think Saul wanted to have Bible study with these Christians. He wasn't trying to start his own small group. And now here's this guy who's so hot and bothered by these believers, he's on his way to a city called Damascus, about 150 miles from Jerusalem. He's heard there's an enclave of followers of the way, an enclave of followers of the Jesus in that city. And Saul, like a bounty hunter, is going there to root them out. He's going to bring them to justice. Now, listen, let's be honest. Most people don't oppose Jesus like this. But we're all still holy terrors until we encounter Jesus. Jesus, because our sins, that is our rebellion against God, and thought, word, and deed, make us all holy terrors before God. We're all described like this in the Bible before meeting Jesus. There's several passages. Let me just give a one or two. Titus 3.3 3 is how we describe Paul preaching here. He said, for we ourselves, including himself, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Holy terror. He's talking about all people. At one point in Romans 3.12, he says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Holy terror. All mankind, all people kind fall into this category. So whether you attack Christians or not, we're all holy terrors. And listen, if you don't see yourself in this light, you will have a hard time truly appreciating God's grace. Grace, meaning his unearned, undeserved favor and kindness. This is where we all find ourselves. But listen, God is merciful. And notice what he brings now. He brings a resurrection encounter, what I call a holy encounter in verses 3 through 9. Saul's on his way. He's got a plan. I'm going to, he got a wonderful plan for his life. He's ambitious. He's moving up the ladder. He's going to do something that some of his contemporaries have not been able to do fully. He's going to stamp out this Christian thing. But then he sees a light. 
The life he saw was the divine, majestic glory of the risen Son of God. This light, boom, shines around him. It, it must have been like, you walk, you're walking to a, you're going to a dark room. You may get up in the middle of the night, it's dark, and you can't see, and you're trying to get your eyes, and then somebody turns on a light. Even the roaches get upset. And the light comes on. What happens to your eyes? Oh, man, when you turn the light down, my wife always tells me, dim the light, Kevin, hit the dimmer. That's what happens. This is even worse than that. When this light exploded in his eyes, it blinded him. It took his eyes out. It was so powerful that he fell to the ground. It's a picture of the fact that God dwells, the Bible says, in unapproachable light. And, as he's, and he's now in the presence of the risen Christ in all of his majestic glory. And he, is, he just can't take it. And now, the Holy One, in that glory, has come to do something he would never have expected, Saul that is, would never have expected, he's come to claim Saul. Saul had tried everything to stamp him out, and now he's going to get claimed. Ha! Wow. The apostle John had a similar experience, and he was a follower of Jesus. He was, and in John 1:17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But watch this, the Bible says, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and the grave. Now watch, two apostles, well, two men, apostle, yeah. Two men have the same experience. One's a believer, one's an unbeliever. What's the difference? Jesus said to John, fear not. He didn't say that to Saul. There's no fear not here. <laughs> There's no fear not. When a sinner meets Jesus for the first time, fear is appropriate. Don't miss this. This beautiful way of experiencing divine love. It's one of the ways that we experience divine love. Jesus comes to us with the light of his justice so that we can see ourselves for the first time as he sees us. This is love. This is love, saints. He, for the first time, we can see that we're lost. That we're not as good as we thought we were. We're actually, we're depraved that we're helpless to, to save ourselves, that we're on the wrong side of God, and that we need a Savior. This is holy love. This is a loving encounter. It's powerful, but man, it's, it's holy love reaching down and grabbing hold of someone who's lost. And notice the question he asks him. He didn't have to ask him any questions. What did he ask him? Why are you persecuting me? This is a hard question. Saul was persecuting Christians, but Jesus 
identifies with his people. He always identifies with his people. When you mess with Jesus' people, you mess with Jesus. When you touch one of his, you touch him. This question also reveals that Saul really had a problem with Jesus, which is why he went after his people. Jesus rubbed Saul the wrong way, which made Saul more passionate about stopping the spread of the gospel. We believe that Saul actually had seen Jesus, maybe even met him. Why? Because they were contemporaries. And, 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 every, and, and, and the Jews' males had to go up to Jerusalem every year, three times a year for feasts. It's, it's a good chance that Saul actually heard Jesus preach, maybe even shook his hand. Who knows? Jesus rubbed him the wrong way. What is it about Jesus that rubs people the wrong way? He is absolutely holy. Okay, set apart, set apart to God, but now when we're talking about God, we gotta go, go a bit further. He's transcendent. He's above and beyond us. He is morally perfectly pure. And when you get around somebody who you know is better than you, or if you think they're better than you, <laughs> you know, you feel uncomfortable. And when you get around God, you get very uncomfortable. Next to Jesus, we wilt and look bad. We feel our own insecurities and failures. One time when Jesus did a miracle of, of, a, catch, of a fish catch, maybe he told Peter to go fish him, and Peter and the boys went back out again, caught all this fish, they came back, they, they, had, they had tried before and nothing happened. Now you got all this fish. Peter comes back on shore and says to Jesus, Sign this contract, you're not going into business, we're going to make some money, bro. No. He comes back and says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Why? Because he was in the presence of somebody he knew or thought was better than him. Someone who was holy, and that's what's happening. Saul is experiencing the holiness of Christ. He's been seeing stuff. He's been seeing how Stephen died. Remember in chapter 26, Saul tells his story again and says, Jesus said to him something else. Jesus said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, there, there was goads are what you used to get an ox moving, a pointed stick. Come on, Bessie, get going. That's how they would do it. And, and so he, he says, this, so these goads were Jesus pricking the conscience of Saul. He saw how Stephen died, maybe. He saw the holiness and the goodness of Jesus. He was a good guy. When he had, he, people seemed to really love him. He did good things, and, and, and then he killed him. That had to bother him a little bit, maybe, possibly. We don't know that this Bible doesn't tell us all the, what, what was going on, but you can figure. How does Jesus make you feel? Do you want to cancel him? being around Jesus, people make you feel. You'll know because you'll know something's wrong because all you want to do is point out the failures of the church and ignore his, the history of how God has used the church in this country and around the world. I'll talk to true church now. Use the people of God to bless so many people. Orphanages, hospitals, all kinds of good, historically. But yet people always want to talk about the failures of the church. 
Maybe that's you. Maybe you're one of those people too. Is it possible that what's bothering you is that you recognize there's some good happening in these people and it makes you uncomfortable? And really what is out, what's happening, Jesus makes you uncomfortable. It's okay, I've been there too. <laughs> But go on. Jesus isn't done with Saul. Takes him into city. They take him into the city of Damascus. He's blind. The one who thought he could see, that he knew the truth, is now blind. That's his real condition. That's what he really was, blind. Blind to who Jesus was. But isn't it interesting? He's physically blind, but now he knows who Jesus is. He can see who Jesus is. Oh, <laughs> this is great. First of all, I want you to notice, this is brief now, I want to get to the last point. Notice now a resurrection mission. Jesus sent a holy man, a holy servant, on a holy mission. Ananias. Ananias is at home having devotions. <laughs> He's having devotions. And Jesus appears to him and says, hey, I want you to go. I got a, I got a job for you. Here I am, Lord. I love how Jesus calls his name. Ananias. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus calls us by name. Come on, people. He knows your name. It's not just Israel who's saying that. It's the truth. He knows your name. And, 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 here, and the, the response that, we, that should happen for all of us as the children of God, when Jesus calls your name, here I am, Lord. See, you, that's the response of someone who recognizes that they've been first served by Jesus. They want to serve him because they know he has served them first. He served them best. He served them by dying, by coming and living the life we could not live and then dying the death. We better not die. When I recognize that, I want to serve. I want, yes, Lord, whatever you want. That's what he's saying. I'm your boy. Like Steve, like Steve, like Steve Harvey on Family Feud. I'm your man. He was saying, I'm your man, Lord. What do you need? What you want? A response of love and joy and grace. I'm glad to serve. Not complain, but serve. Behold it. Jesus says, a new disciple has been born. And I want you to go and be a spiritual midwife to welcome him in. Okay, but who is this guy? Well, hold on. Let me tell you, the, tell you where he's at. Tell you, give, give his address. He's on Straight Street. He's staying with this guy named Judas. You go find him and then ask up for the guy named Saul. I already told them you coming in a vision. At that point, Joy left. I mean, we're, we're okay saying, Lord, here I am, until the Lord says, do this. Hold it. You hear the, you hear the, the, the soundtrack stops. The song stops. Up from the You don't mean that holy terror, Lord. You don't mean that guy. He was reluctant at the, and afraid, at, even at the command of Jesus, listen, listen, to confront someone he found uncomfortable. I think he fit right in with church today. We don't like having hard conversations either. We don't wanna, we, we don't wanna, we don't wanna talk to each other about hard stuff. We'd rather say, cancel. Ananias is trying to cancel a brother. A brother. 
whom he didn't believe was a really a brother or enough of a brother. But Jesus saw who Saul was now. He saw what Ananias could not see. He saw Saul's heart. Ananias didn't know Saul. He thought he knew Saul. He heard about Saul. He had never had a real conversation with Saul. Never had a real heart to heart. But he says, he's a bad person, so I ain't going. But the, Lord, but the Lord knew Saul's heart. He knew Saul was a sincere, real servant now of his because he is working in him. And church folk, we got to get over that. We got we to let trust in Jesus to work in his servants. Amen. And stop being afraid to have hard conversations with people even though we may not like it. And as a basic savior, maybe trembling a bit, he went. And because he obeyed the Lord, listen, because he obeyed the Lord, he got to be part of one of the greatest stories of turnaround in history. Yeah. Wow. He will always remember. I was there when Saul got converted. I baptized him. I welcome him into the family of God. He will always remember that. He know he didn't save Saul, but he will always remember. It's a lesson to us in the church, I think. Let God be God in people's lives. Trust the Lord. Trust him. And don't be afraid to love one another. Last thing I want you to notice a new, a new resurrection life happens after you have a holy encounter with Jesus. You become a holy man or woman. When a holy terror meets the holy Christ, the holy terror becomes a holy man or holy woman. That's the heart of gospel transformation. When we meet Jesus, his resurrection power becomes active in our life. In our life, that power that took the Lord from death to life now takes up spiritual residence in us. And we become alive to God now. We were dead to him, but now we come alive. We were unresponsive, we didn't care, but now we come alive. Now we come alive and we, we, we may have hated Jesus or were indifferent to Jesus, but now we love him. We are passionate. We can't help it. It's what Ephesians 2, 4 says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Made us alive. When Jesus came up from the grave, all those who believe in him experienced that resurrection. It just takes a few years to catch up to us. Saul didn't know he, he was by, that God, in God's economy, he had already been united to Christ. He didn't know that God, that God had, had laid his hands upon him. He's running around doing his thing and doing it with to the max, baby. And the whole time, God was on his track, walking, standing in the shadows, walking behind him. <laughs> and when the time came, 
mine. Mine. And what happens is he become a new person. He, something beautiful has happened on the inside in his heart. This is not religion. This is a relationship. This is, this is divine power. It's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, that's what happened to Saul. And that's what happens to all of us who believe in Jesus. Is that you? If it's not, it could be you. Look at the transformation right away. He's baptized. And then he gets some food. Boy had been fasting for three days. Remember, he was fasting. Why was he fasting? He was humbling his soul. He realized, I think I've been wrong. And guess what? He was going to fast until God said something. Until God said something. And when Ananias shows up, that's when he ends his fast. He would have kept fasting. And now he can eat. Here's a water. Eat something. You'll be all right. Baptize, my brother. He's identified with Christ and his people. Baptism identifies you with Christ and his people. The very people, the very person and people he sought to wipe out, he's not identified with them. And now he begins to do what needs to happen to everyone. When you see Jesus, you can't help but tell people about him. And that's what he spends. He's transformed. And he's good at it too, by the way, because he has background training in the Old Testament. As a Pharisee, he's really good at it. And he's preaching and telling and they're being, people are getting mad. <laughs> and they're being amazed because they recognize that's what should happen. When God gets hold of you in Jesus, people will see you're not the same anymore. Okay. How about a few extra takeaways, if you don't mind? If you're not walking with Jesus because you think you are too bad or too far gone or have too many problems, then see in this passage Christ's resurrection power to meet you where you are and turn your life around. You see it? You see Saul. Look at Saul. You are not him. You are not too far gone. If you think you have to change your life or clean yourself up for Christ or his church before you surrender to Jesus, then look again at Christ's resurrection acceptance. He comes for you as you are, like he came for Saul. He comes for you wherever you are, and he, and he does the changing. He transformed you. He doesn't ask you to transform your life before he accepts you. He just says to you, trust me. Stop trusting yourself and trust me. Third, see in this resurrection encounter that no one, no loved one, no enemy who is breathing Easter air is beyond the power and love of the resurrected Jesus to reach. Oh, that's, isn't that right? Yeah, wow. Keep praying. Fourth, lastly, no service you make in the name of the resurrected Jesus will fail to have the effect that he desires. Go into the hard places. Go to the hard people. Have the hard conversations. Just go in the humility and name of Jesus. 
If you do, he will do what he wants. He will bring the fruit he wants. Your job is not the fruit. My job as someone who has been resurrected with Jesus, who has behold the greatness of Christ, who has been saturated with his love, is simply to trust him and follow him. I know many of you have probably heard or seen in the news, maybe even sadly even experienced a very savage, horrible car wreck. I hope that's not your story, but if you have, you know what I'm talking about. He's the driver, passengers, yourself, trapped in the car because it was so badly damaged. You just, you can't get out. Maybe it was your fault or the, whoever the driver was fault, texting while driving or something. Maybe it wasn't that person's fault. It was the victims of someone else's bad choices. Either way, they're trapped. Can't get out. The police will show up and they bring something called the jaws of life. These cutters cut through steel like butter, and quickly too, so that those who are trapped can escape. Family, Jesus is the jaws of life. In his resurrection power, he can cut through what binds you. He can cut you out. He can cut you free. And saints, when the church functions as we should, we become little jaws of life to help cut people free. The question is, are we going to be the jaws of life or the jaws of death? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's follow him. Father, in Jesus' name, oh Lord, set us free. Wherever, wherever we are in life, set us free. Whether we know you or not, we need to be set free. Help us to walk in the power of your resurrection. Help us to walk in the newness of life and the freedom that comes through you. Help us, Lord, to be life-giving because we receive life from you. Bless your word to your people's heart and all who are here in Jesus' name.